Welcome to the Aliana Nita podcast, the podcast created to inform, challenge, and empower you. Now let's get down to business. Welcome to the Alien and Anita podcast. I am your host, Alien, and I am so excited to have you guys join me this week. Um, if you do not know me, my name is Alien, obviously, and I give business tips, life tips, and we just chat and shoot the breeze and enjoy good conversation on this podcast. I, I like to give a lot of tips that I feel like can help you um, propel forward. If you are a regular, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me again. I am going to jump into this week's conversation about quiet quitting. So last year on, I think it was Twitter, um, the term quiet quitting started to um, trend a little bit. And I actually seen a few posts, um, I think on Instagram about it as well. So quiet quitting is basically, from my understanding, doing the very bare minimum that you can do in order to be uh, employed until you can find something else. So basically you stop going over and beyond the call of duty. You stop showing up. Um, not that you're not doing your job because you're doing exactly what you're being asked to do. You're just not doing extra. You're, you're basically just doing the bare minimum to, to survive until you can find something else and move on. And when I realized what that actually meant, I thought about how it was for me when I worked for my previous employer and how I was actually quiet quitting without even knowing that I was. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to kind of like dive into my story about how I got to that place and why I got to that place. And if you're at that place, what I think you should do. So let's get into my story. So I worked for a company for 11 years and I had been working there for obviously a long time. And I worked under, let's see, one, two, three different managers. So the majority of the time that I worked for this particular company, I worked under one manager. And when she was there, she was a black woman. She ran our group, like the way our group was set up and ran in the chemistry department was amazing. We got a lot of work in. We were often very busy. We had a lot of responsibilities, but we really worked hard and we worked together and it was actually fun to do the work. Um, It was tiresome. We didn't get paid a lot of money. We got a lot of money made. We made a lot of money rather in overtime, but um, as far as base salary, we wasn't paid much and but we, we worked together because we were a team. It felt like a family. It was great. And after so long, um, my black supervisor, she decided that the company no longer fit her needs. And the reason why is because um, they were asked, they were demanding more and more and more out of her and they refused to get her help. And she just kept saying, I just need help. If I can get some help, I would be better. I would be better in this position. I would be able to help. And, um, she just kept crying and begging and begging and begging and pleading for help. And they refused to get her help. And, um, so after so much, she was like, you know what, I'm losing my hair. I'm, I'm constantly up at night. I can't sleep. My family life is being affected. I have to leave. So she actually quit the job 
took a pay cut to get out of the job and um, moved on to another company. After that, my department fell to shreds. So we were at, we were we were without a supervisor for about maybe a year or two. Um, yeah, it's probably like maybe two years. We didn't have a supervisor at all. We were unsupervised. We would supervise ourselves. And we started to have really valuable employees start to quit. So we're talking about people that had years of experience, like 10, 15, 25, even five years of experience was big because, you know, that meant that you were around the group. You understood the chemistry enough. You could manage and do all of the work that we needed you to do. And they just started dropping off like flies. They started finding better jobs, better paying jobs. The economy kind of loosened up a bit. So people started to make moves. And um, our comp- as, as we started losing expertise and experience, our company started to suffer dearly. So it made it very hard for the people that had been there, that remained there, that had some expertise or years of experience like myself to um, kind of like stay there because all of the responsibility was placed on us because we had the most experience. So finally we get a new supervisor in and she stayed for less than six months. She found another job that paid her more money than what she was making as a supervisor. And um, it required her to have less responsibility. So she decided to move on. Right after that, we got um, a new ops manager, a new operational manager And she and the lab director sat down with me. And literally, when I tell you guys, I'm not even joking. They begged me, literally begged me to apply for the supervisor position. They was like, you are the most qualified. You have the most experience. Please, 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 please apply for this position. And so I told them, you know, at first I was like, no, I don't want it because it's just crazy. I couldn't do it. And then finally, I was just like, you know what, if somebody's going to take the position, it might as well be me because I know how to run. The, I know how to run the position. I know how to run the group. It just makes sense. So I'll do it. So I applied for the position. First of all, they made me apply. The last supervisor they gave the position to, They she just said she was interested. They gave it to her. They didn't even interview her. They just was like, OK, go for it. And mind you, she was white. So let me make that clear. So. Anyway, they was like, well, you got to apply. I was like, okay. So I applied. They was like, well, you have to have an interview. I was like, okay, I'll do the interview process. Sit down in this interview process. They grill me, which is fine because I can handle pressure, not a problem. Um, Go through the whole interview process. They was like, okay, we'll get back to you. They waited for about two weeks to get back to me, and they never actually addressed me. I got, we got called in a meeting, my group, my department got called into a meeting and they announced that they had gave the supervisor position to another employee within the building. And he was a white male. That's important. Keep that in mind. So that he was a white male. And so I find this news out. They didn't tell me. And I find out with everybody else. And I was kind of shocked, like, oh, wow, they could have said something or whatever, but they didn't. So this white male comes from another department who he he has no he's been there for years, but he, he didn't have um, any experience in our department, which makes a huge difference because 
our department was so unique. It required that you understood the, the chemistry enough and you understood how the tests merge together and work together in order for our group to run functionally. So of course they gave it to the white male and um, they was like, oh, sorry, we, we expect other positions to be open soon or whatever. People will be retiring. So once they retire, you could probably apply for those positions. And then they told me that the reason why they didn't want to give me the position is because I was too valuable as a, as a worker in the lab to move me into leadership position because they felt like me leaving would be would leave a big hole in the group. And I was like, so basically you're saying that I'm only as good as the work that I like. I'm, You know, you all don't see me as a leader. You all see me as a worker and that's it. So that was like, OK, all right. Keep that in your back pocket. You know how they value you. So let's move on. Then the pay was horrific. So to be perfectly transparent, when I first started working there um, years and years ago, um, I think I started I think my base salary was like. $29,000 somewhere in there. And by the time I left, I was only making like 43k a year, a little bit more than 43,000 a year. So, I had been working for this company for 11 years and I wasn't even making $50,000. I wasn't even making $45,000 a year, which is insane, right? And their excuse was, well, you can make it up in overtime. Well, as my life started to expand outside of work where I was starting to develop, you know, open up my own lab, I was starting to podcast, I was starting to do certain different, I'm starting to do other things. Working overtime at, at my job just was not in my plans. Like, you know, it not necessarily in my plans, but it didn't fit my life anymore. And they wanted me because they felt like, well, we feel like you're the most experienced here. You need to do more work. You need to catch you need to pick up the burdens and do all of this stuff. They really had this expectation out of me that they that I was going to come in and be the superhero. But they didn't want me in leadership. They didn't want me to, you know, give my opinion or or give um, advice that could possibly help us function and be better. They didn't want that for me. They only wanted me to sit quietly in the lab and do nothing but what they tell me to do. So I was like, you know what? I think I reached my apex here. I think I reached my end. So um, a, a few things ended up happening. So they were trying to, um, so they wanted me to basically come behind my new supervisor, which is the white male, and make him look good by carrying the burdens of all of the work in the lab and make sure that the, the uh, lab stayed afloat. When I refused to do so, they began, they became angry. I was like, listen, I am one person. I am not gonna take on all of this work. I'm not gonna be here from sunrise to sunset. Those days are over for me. You know, and things started to like outside of like, you know, things going on outside of um, work for me, my health became a priority to me where at one point in time I would come to work at 5 a.m. and stay until whatever, until the job was done. I started to realize, you know what, I'm getting I'm in my 30s now. I need to rest. I need to take breaks. I need to take time off. And I just I was like, you know what, this this isn't for me. This this is no longer that lifestyle is not for me. 
And I felt like at the time I had to work like that to make any kind of money so that I can live any kind of, you know, live a life. You know, you can't in Chicago making $30,000 a year, you know, mid 30,000 in a year is not going to help you rent an apartment, you know? So I'm like, I got to prioritize things in my life so that, you know, I can live. And I thought that working that overtime and working like that would yield me a better life, but it didn't. It made me miserable. It made me miss out on a lot of opportunities, a lot of memories that I could have made with friends and family. Um, I was often tired. The taxes that I paid out on overtime because you get taxed differently from your regular salary from overtime is insane. So I was like, you know what, really, to be honest, it's not really worth it. I'm doing a lot of work for nothing. And I could do and, and then I started to see if I worked on the things that I was passionate about outside of work and really like put my energy and effort into that, I started to see how I could make more money doing what I love versus doing what I have to do here. So that also was a, a factor for me. And then the humiliation along the way became an issue. So, um, like I said, they wanted me to kind of just play this role and this part and not um, and not have any leadership or not, you know, use my voice or anything like that to kind of say like, hey, guys, I think we should move in this direction versus that. or Maybe we could do this versus that. And so they took me upstairs. My supervisor and the ops manager took me upstairs, had this humiliating conversation with me, and they actually demoted my position. So they can't demote me in pay, but they demoted me in position. And um, they tried to give my position away to someone who had less than six months of experience. So they take me in this meeting, have this horrible meeting with me, and... um, I'm telling them, I'm like, hey, guys, this is not going to work. He's going to get overwhelmed. It's no way I can give him years and years of experience in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. They wouldn't listen. They put him in this position and they demoted my position and put me in a a smaller position. And I was like, "Okay, fine. You know, I'm just going to do what I have to do. And I excelled, obviously, in that position because it wasn't difficult for me to excel in anything. And it was like shooting the breeze for me. But the guy was struggling very badly. And he ended up going into the office and saying to them, like, hey, I cannot handle this. I Please put me on something else. Can you put her back in her position? Because I can't handle it. And so eventually they had to put me back. They had to come back and put me in the position that I once was in. And the guy ended up leaving the group altogether. Then uh, the, the, the icing on the cake for me was when I had the final meeting with them. And I was like, you know what, this is it. So um, my ops manager was really flighty, very, a very anxious white woman, like anything, anything would cause her to go from zero to 100 very easily. Like she did not possess emotional intelligence. And so um, she was looking at some data of mine and she wasn't familiar with the data um, that we produced. So it confused her. And so she was like, I need to talk to QA. I need to talk to the lab director. I need to like, she was like basically trying to make this thing, make this whole thing as saying that I was falsifying data, which turns out that it was, it was all a lie. It was all, obviously it wasn't true, but they was like, so she was like, I need to have this in, in meetings and like basically sending these emails, like 
um, we, we need to sit down and have a conversation. But first, I want to talk to all of these big, huge, important people first. And it was like a whole intimidation thing to like make me feel like, oh, you're going to get it now. You're in trouble because I'm going to take this data to everybody and show it. So they call me into this meeting. I am the only black person in the room. It is five other white people in the room. They print out a bunch of my data. And she's passing these data, this data around. Now, keep in mind, nobody in the room actually knows how to interpret this data properly. So they pass my data around the room. Everybody's like, this is trash. I would throw this. This this is absolute trash. I mean, they went on. This meeting lasted for two hours and they trashed my work, trashed me as a, a worker, as an employee. And I remember sitting in that meeting, just looking around like, I know more than everybody in this room and everybody in this room is literally trying to talk down about me and my work. And I've been here and have the most experience out of everybody in this room in this area that we're talking about. So I was the person with the most expertise, the person with the most experience, the person who had the most knowledge. And yet I was being looked at, talked about and criticized as if I knew nothing. I went down after the meeting end, ended. I went downstairs in the washroom. I closed myself in, locked the door. I cried. I looked myself in the mirror and I told myself I did not care what it took. This would be my last year at this job. I was like, if I had to walk out on faith, if I had to live off my 401k, if I have to sell peanuts on the street corner, I'm getting out of here. I don't care. It is over. I'm done. I went, I wiped my tears. I went and talked to one of my favorite coworkers. She's she's a black girl. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that to you. She couldn't believe it. Everybody was astounded when they heard it because everybody was like, wait, but you have the most expertise. Like nobody could understand why they would do that. And it was from that moment where I knew no matter what happened, I had to go. So. I started doing the very bare minimum because my back was against the wall. I knew that I didn't have a voice in that company or in that particular lab. I knew that I didn't have anybody voucher for me. I knew that I, I had reached my apex as far as salary. They wasn't going to pay me more. Um, or either I was going to work more to earn more in overtime or I was going to have to leave. Like those were my options. Like they wasn't going to pay me more. It wasn't like I was going to be able to get into a leadership position because nobody would vouch for me to get in the leadership position because they felt that I was more valuable in the lab than I was in the, in the leadership position. So I wasn't going to be able to grow anywhere else in that company. And I knew it and I was miserable there. So I told myself I would never, you know, be dishonorable in the company. I'm still working here. I'm still getting benefits here. I'm going to serve and do my very best. But am I going to go over and beyond the call of duty? No, I'm not. I'm going to do exactly what I'm getting paid to do. And that's it. And I will work my 40 hours a week and I will leave right out that door. I did not feel bad. My supervisor would look at me and be like, so you're going to leave? Yes, I am. I'm done. You know, and when I needed to take a break, when I needed to take a vacation, when I needed a mental health day, I did all of that because I had to make sure I was okay in order to um, to um, make sure that I was ready for my next level. So around at one time, my mother called me and she said, hey, you know, um, the doctor said that my mother was waiting to get a, a transplant. And so my mother said that 
um, she called me one day and told me like, hey, the doctors gave me the green light. I am good to go. They said this, this can happen any day. I knew that once my mother got that kidney transplant, I was not coming back. And so I was a sole, I am the sole provider or sole caretaker for my mom. And I knew like, you know, once I, once she got out, once she got her transplant, I was gone. So I talked to my business coach and my business coach was like, you know, instead of just flat out quitting, why don't you just take FMLA, um, take care of your mom, get her back on her feet and then see what happens, you know, like continue to grow your business continue to receive benefits from this company because I wasn't getting paid, but I, I was, I was able to keep my um, health insurance. So I got, I did that, took FMLA. And once my FMLA was up, I resigned and I've been a solo entrepreneur ever since then. And so that is my story of, of how I quiet quit and why <laughs> I ended up getting to that point. And so the moral of the story is this, is that, you have to, what I learned from, from my story was that, you know, I had this idea, even when I started working for this company, I had the idea of relevant labs, relevant cosmetics already laid out. This was my dream. It was my vision. And because I had got so comfortable with having a job and having regular steady pay, I didn't want to sacrifice that. And I didn't know and I didn't see and it didn't make sense of how I could actually launch a lab and actually like be able to provide and keep a roof over my head and keep food on the table for myself. It didn't make sense. And so I I, I kind of like minimize my dream to be able to live a life that didn't end well for me. Like you would think that after 11 years, you know, you would be appreciated and you would be um, celebrated even in a sense and you would be valued. And I, it was like the more years I spent at the company, the less value I had there. And it didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter how much I proved myself to be right. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story, but to keep the, the podcast from going forever, I, I realized like, you know what? These people are never going to value me. And if I want to experience the value, the true value of who I am, I have to step out there and be the woman that I know that I can be. I have to step out there and live my dream because this is not my dream. And I think that God had to show me that I was in a small space and that my thinking was so small and that I didn't even have enough faith to really believe him for what I really wanted to do. And that was just the truth. I had to come in contact with myself and really look myself in the eye and say, Elian, what's holding you back? And when I looked in that mirror that day, when I was in there crying after that meeting, I looked in the mirror and I saw the person that was holding me back was me. It was me all alone. It wasn't them. It wasn't the job. It wasn't any circumstantial issues. It was me. I just did not believe in me. And I had let people tell me what my value was. And when I made that, it was something that just shifted in my heart and in my mind and even in the area of my faith that made me say, you know what, this is it. They will never get an opportunity to treat me like this again, but I won't allow myself to have an opportunity to be treated like this ever again. I'm going to step out and I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to really put energy and muscle into to the um, area of my life that I want to change. And my area was my job. And when I tell you guys, once I quit that job, once I let it go, 
my life increased in such a significant way, even when I was in the transitional time before I actually resigned or even before I went on FMLA, I literally was like my life just shifted significantly in such a beautiful way. It happened so effortlessly. It was just a beautiful thing that God did. And it was like it was almost like once God seen that I was ready, he was like, OK, let's go. And when I tell you guys, I got up and I ran and I, I mean, it was so, I was like, I'm out of here. And I was out of there for real, for real. And God seen that. And I believe that he honored that. And he honored um, my commitment to what I was trying to build and what I wanted to do. And so I say these things to you because if you're in a position where you're working a job and I'm not just saying like, oh, they're not paying me enough because I feel like I should be making this much. I'm talking about like if you know that you have put in work, you have spent time, energy, you have done all of the things, exhausted every avenue every every way every route and you know that this is the end you know that you have reached the highest point you can reach it's time for you to reconsider and make the next best move for yourself and I know it's scary and I know it's hard and I know it could be difficult you can have people in your ear telling you that's not the way that's not smart whatever right but you have to believe in yourself enough to know that you can do whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. I had to believe in myself. I had no other choice. I exhausted every other option. And the last option I had was to trust what God had put inside of me. And a part of believing God and believing in who, who you are and believing him for who he is, is believing that he put something great inside of you. You cannot have faith without believing in yourself first. If you don't have faith to say, I believe God put something great inside of me, then you don't have faith at all because it starts with you. And I had to con- I had to grasp that, grasp that and grasp that concept and, and really, really like sit and meditate on it and say, saying faith starts when I believe first in God and second that he puts something great inside of me then all of the avenues and the doors opened up for me. This wasn't an overnight process. This took years and years and years of time. But once I reached that point, that's when life changed. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, if you all are out there quiet quitting, it's time for you to really do some some deep searching within yourself to find out what is it that is going to make your work life happy? What kind of job, if, if it's a job, what job do you want? that will make your life happy. Don't just look for money. Look for for all of the amenities that come with it because you need to be able to enjoy life enough to, to, uh, or you need to have enough space in your life to enjoy the money that you make. If this job is going to make you work tirelessly to make a good salary, then maybe you need to reconsider that that job because you're not going to be happy. You know what I'm saying? So make sure it's more than just money, but it's about fulfillment. It's about it's about uh, reaching a goal or or living out your purpose and your um, God given destiny, because that's what it's about. I'm telling you now, money isn't everything. Money is great. Money solves problems. Money can make you very happy. And I'm not one of those ones that say money won't make you happy. That's a lie and a myth. Money will make you very happy at times, but it won't solve all of your issues. So you want to make sure that you understand that. And, um, you know, make sure you can have a work-life balance. It exists. It's real. 
is a real thing. Work-life balance is a real thing. Don't let them tell you that's a myth. So, um, yeah, that's, I just wanted to share that with you guys to just say like, you know, you out there quiet quitting, you know, make sure you're making the very best move for yourself and what you need to do, um, for your, your family, your friends and your well-being and your happiness for your mental stability. Um, it's, it's a, it's a journey. I know it's scary. I know it's hard. It's not as easy as people like to make it seem, um, to get out there and quiet quit or quit your job or whatever, but don't do it irresponsibly. Um, make sure that you're taking your time to, you know, iron out all of the the details. How are you going to get paid? You know, um, what, what is going to look like for you moving forward? What is your day to day going to look like? And give yourself a break and just breathe and take it easy. But I just want to encourage all you quiet quitters out there that it, it is a light at the end of the tunnel. But you have to go towards that light. You got to make it happen. And I pray for y'all. I love y'all. And I hope that it ends well for you all. So I want to give you a book recommendation. It is called Quitter. Closing the Gap Between Your Day Job and Your Dream Job. It is a national bestseller by John Acuff. Um, I'm going to link it in the show descriptions below. Um, and yeah, you know, let me know, guys, if you have any questions, Is it, if it's anything that um, you want to know more about my story that I didn't cover in this podcast, you can always email me at Show at gmail.com. I am your fave chemist on all of the social media platforms. And as always, guys, be blessed and stay relevant.